Strange Tales. RelicRadio.com presents tales of the strange and bizarre, the weird and the wicked. Stories not necessarily of the supernatural, but of the unnatural. Join us now for Strange Tales, featuring radio drama at its most mysterious and unusual. Strange Tales. Thanks for joining me this Sunday. We're going to hear from The Haunting Hour this week, a series produced between May of 1945 and May of 1946, 52 episodes. It originally aired over NBC stations, though so it was syndicated and aired over other networks in subsequent years. Our story today first aired sometime in 1945. It's titled Perfect Crime. Track with Myra again. Well, you're wrong. Go on. 
Tell me why Myra won't return to me. Because she will be undergoing treatment in the well-known Phyllis Cooker. The electric chair? Yes. The electric chair, the hot seat. The scientific contraption that converts a murderer into a corpse. Don't make me laugh. I've considered this from every angle. Here's what's going to happen. First, I'll shoot you. A shot will be heard. People will come running up here. So it is a point, you, Vance. People will not come running up here because the shot will not be heard. I've taken care of that. You'll notice my gun is equipped with a mechanism which will muffle the sound of the shot. But suppose it doesn't work. Oh, it will. I just tested it. I fired a shot up into the air through an open window. No one heard it. And, oh, yes, I replaced the bullet so the police won't find two empty cartridges where there should be only one. But then I'll carefully wipe away all traces of my fingerprints and remove the silencer. Oh, rest assured, I'll be very careful of that. I'll leave no incriminating evidence behind. The only thing I'll leave will be the gun in your dead hand. You're mad. Thank you. I'm glad you appreciate how carefully I've planned your suicide. Robert Lane sits and pounds his typewriter. The words flow freely. A thrill of satisfaction courses through him. The satisfaction of a creative artist who beholds his work in the formative process and knows it is good. What a story. What a story. Come in. Oh, it's you, McGinnis. Come in. I hope I'm not disturbing you, Mr. Lane. Oh, it's all right. I'm about ready for a breather anyway. Right, another one of your mystery stories, huh? Oh, not another one, McGinnis. I'm writing the greatest mystery yarn of all time. Good, huh? Good is hardly the word for it. It's perfect, huh? The story of a perfect crime. Don't say. McGinnis, you're witnessing a memorable moment in the history of literature. Huh? This story is so good... I'm afraid to have it published. I don't get it. My friend, I'm about to do what every writer dreams of. Depict the story of a perfect crime. Mr. Lane, I'm just a dumb hotel detective, so I don't know all the answers like you writers do, but but tell me, uh, what's wrong with printing the story of a perfect crime? Use your imagination, McGinnis. Look, suppose you wanted to kill someone, but you were afraid to because you might get caught. Uh-huh. Then you read a story that tells you how to commit the murder and still be safe. Uh-huh. What would you do? Well, I guess I'd bump the guy off like it says in the story. Exactly. And that's what may, in fact, undoubtedly will happen if this story ever gets into print. Just imagine the consequences. Be pretty bad, huh? Nothing short of a catastrophe. The country may be deluged by a wave of killings, and the police will be helpless to solve them. Oh, I don't know, Mr. Lane. The police are pretty smart when it comes to figuring things out. (laughs) Spoken like a cop, McGinnis. Naturally, I don't agree with you. The police are able to pin down the average murderer because the average murderer is a pretty dumb cluck. And someone with brains and imagination... I know, I know. You geniuses who write what you call murder mysteries, you always solve the case by brilliant detection. It's out of the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) While we dumb flatwoods use just plain old police methods. 
We managed to get results. Well, as I said before, you and I have argued this many times, that's because the average murderer leaves behind some clue or clues that even you cops can't miss. But a really smart murderer, like the fellow in my story, doesn't leave any clues. Then uh, how do you solve it in the end? I don't. This is the story of the perfect crime. It defies solution. It simply can't be solved. Not even by you? Not even by me. <laughs> That's something new. One of you geniuses not being able to find a murder. <laughs> I thought you fellas always got your man. You know, by using that psychology and inspiration and razzle-dazzle. You know, that stuff that turns an ordinary cop's stomach when it doesn't make him laugh. No, not this time, McGinnis. <laughs> this is a perfect crime. Uh, oh, I bet you dumb flatfoots could figure it out. Yeah, we could go on like this forever, but... You didn't come to my apartment to expound your theories of crime detection. What's on your mind, McGinnis? Well, uh, sort of wondered if you'd mind autographing this story of yours on the one of the magazine here I put. Oh, why, sure, I'll be glad to. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, the way you push that pen around with your left hand gets me. Yeah, I've been left-handed all my life. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Uh, I thought you didn't care for my razzle-dazzle ideas of crime detection. Well, he's the autograph for my kid. You know, he's at the age where he thinks your stuff is wonderful. <laughs> but you don't, huh? Well, <laughs> well, I don't think so much of your police methods, so we're even. Yes, sir. Now, I better get back to work. So long, McGinnis. Uh, so long, Mr. Lane, and, and thanks a lot for the autograph. It'll tickle the socks off my kid. <laughs> And so Robert Lane settles back to work on his masterpiece. The story of the perfect crime. The story that may result in a nationwide flood of mayhem, if he allows it to be published. Hello? Oh, hello, Mike. Yes, darling, I'm, I'm working. No, no, you didn't disturb me. Uh, I'll be through in a little while anyway, and then we can go to dinner. <laughs> it's quite a story. My best. Yes, dear. Oh, will you stop worrying? I've told you a million times to forget all about it. He isn't going to do anything. Oh, you love me. That's all there is to it. He realizes that. Yes, I know. I know. But, but he was just letting off steam. Those threats of his don't bother me. Look, I haven't even seen him in several days. Even though we do live in the same building and on the same floor. I'll be finished in about a half hour. Suppose I pick you up at 6.30. We'll have an early dinner. Yeah, and then I can get back and beginning the second draft of Perfect Crime. Yeah, that's the name of the story. Perfect Crime. Robert Lane is writing the story of a perfect crime. Robert Lane has an enemy who has uttered threats against him. Robert Lane is skillful at constructing intriguing plots. But so is life. And sometimes life weaves a plot more intriguing, more thrilling than the figments of a writer's imagination. But Robert Lane doesn't think of this. He finishes the first draft of Perfect Crime and goes to dinner with the lady he addressed as Marge. Now he returns to his apartment. He opens the door and... Lane, you're going to die. See this gun in my hand? Good. You? Yes, I. What are you doing in my apartment? I thought I'd made that quite clear. I'm here to kill you. Stop joking. 
Does this gun look like a joke? Don't be a fool, Jude. You can't get away with it. That's what the character in your story said. But the other fellow did get away with it. My story? It isn't on the desk where I left it. No. No, I've burned it up. Burned my story? Naturally. What did you expect? You didn't think I'd leave it here as a blueprint for the police to follow? No. No, I destroyed it. After reading it very carefully. It was quite a story. Thank you. No, thank you. For planning your own death. But I... You didn't think it would be used against you. You should have. Something inside you. Let's say your subconscious mind should have warned you. Your subconscious mind made you call the murderer Jet. That's almost my name. You called the lady Myra. Oh, that's pretty close to Marge. Strange, isn't it? Fiction is one thing and real murder is... Is the same thing. Don't underrate your calling. You plotted the perfect crime. All right? This will be the perfect crime. I'll follow your plan in every detail. You, my dear Lane, will, to all intents and purposes, commit suicide. But the sound of the shot... Will not be heard. I've taken the proper precautions. Just the way you said in your story. I've even tested the mechanism by firing a shot up into the air through an open window. And I've replaced the bullet so the police won't find two empty cartridges where there should be only one. I'll also remove the silencer. You're mad. Oh, you're quoting from the story again. Now, I'll quote from it, too. This should give you quite a kick. Not every man gets the chance to study his own post-mortem. Sure, please. Oh, now you're getting away from the story. Your fictitious character didn't plead for mercy... Instead, he tried to talk the other fellow out of killing him by telling him he'd never get the girl. Remember? He said Jet would never get Myra because he'd be frying in the, um, fireless cooker. Stuart, listen to me. But I'll bet you I do get Marge after you're out of the way. Stuart, please. I'm through listening and so are you. You'll hear only two more things. First, the line from your story. You'll make a handsome Consider that your epitaph. And second, the faint sound of the muffled shot by which you are committing suicide. There's never been a better time to save on quality designer fashions than during Big Steel Man's year-end sale. Look, look, look at Big Steel, look at Big Steel Man, look at Big Steel Man. Start the new year in superb designer fashions at the best possible prices. Choose your look from Daniel Hester, Gennaro, Biagiotti, Avery Rowe, Target, and more. There's shirts from $9.99, pants from $16.99, Outerwear from $39.99, suits from just $99.99. Designer fashion from only $9.99. Look at Big Steel, look at Big Steel Man. Look at Big Steel Man. So, start your new year off in great designer fashions from Big Steel and save during Big Steel Man's year-end sale. Look at Big Steel Man. Big Steel Man's year-end sale starts Tuesday. Don't miss the savings of the year. And now the conclusion of The Hunting Hour on 104 Chum FM.
well-known writer of murder mysteries named Robert Lane was working on a story of a perfect crime, a murder that had all the earmarks of a suicide, when McGinnis, the house detective of the building he lived in, dropped in to see him. McGinnis and Lane continued a long-standing, friendly argument about police methods of crime detection. Lane contended that the police usually lack imagination, while McGinnis maintained that their methods get results. After McGinnis had gone, Lane got a phone call from a girl called Marge, his fiancée. He took her to dinner, and when he returned to his apartment, Jewett, who also loved Marge, and from whom Lane had alienated Marge's affections, was waiting for him. Jewett had destroyed Lane's manuscript of the perfect crime because he intended to use the technique described in the story to kill Lane. Afterwards, he wiped his fingerprints from the gun and placed it in Lane's hand. Now he proceeds to carry out the rest of the plan of the perfect crime. Well, McGinnis ought to be here any minute. He's usually very punctual. See to be our fourth tonight? That's right, Warren. Well, for a house detective, he's a pretty good bridge player. Well, what are you complaining about? We want him for a bridge player, not a detective. Well, who's complaining? Come in. Evening, Chet. Oh, all McGinnis. Right, Sorry to be late, Mr. Stewart. Oh, that's all right, McGinnis. You're only a few minutes behind time. Well, what detained you? Run into a murder or something? No, I wouldn't be here now if I had. It wasn't anything as serious as all that. Just a uh, jewel robbery, eh? No, Mr. Marshall, just a case of the assistant manager wanting somebody to listen to one of his so-called funny stories. And of all people, he had to pick on you. Well, Mr. Warren, there wasn't much I could do about it. You see, I'm not supposed to be up here playing bridge while I'm on duty. Well, we won't tell on you, McGinnis. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, you've been doing this for months now, McGinnis. No one's any the wiser. Well, are we going to gab all night, or did you fellows come up here to play bridge? Well, you're the host, Stuart. Start the ball rolling. Okay. I'll take McGinnis for my partner. Oh, so you want the best bridge player in the building, huh? All right. Marshall and I'll pin you years back anyway. Yeah, you said it, Warren. I feel kind of lucky tonight. So do I. So do I. That's to teach you to brag, Marshal. And you certainly are lucky tonight, Jewett. Yep. This is my knife. Yeah, we made an overtrick in that last hand. Yeah, <laughs> partner, but watch this one. You know, I talked to Mr. Lane earlier today. Was that so? Yeah. What do you have to say, if anything? Oh, he was kind of excited. Said he was working on a story of a perfect crime. You don't say. Yeah. I think he got a little peeved when I told him we Flatfoots could probably solve it. Oh, let's cut the gab and play bridge. Well, maybe we'll get a break this time, Marshal. I hope so. And we need it. I'll open two spades. Mm, pass. Two no trump. Pass. Three spades. Pass. Four spades. Pass. Oh, that makes me dummy. Here you are, McGinnis. Good luck. I think I'll go get a glass of water. Any of you fellas want some? No, 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 no thanks. thanks. The next step in the perfect crime. Being dummy in the bridge game, Joyd uses this opportunity to step into the bathroom of his apartment. He turns on the faucet so that the sound of running water will be heard in the next room. Then he quietly raises the window. Not more than five feet away, across an areaway, 
The open bathroom window of Lane's apartment gapes at him. From his pocket, he takes a small bomb, called a cherry bomb, used in military mock warfare to simulate the sound of gunfire in battle. Lane has fastened a long fuse to the cherry bomb. Now, he lights it. And throws it into Lane's window. Then, he closes his own window. Turns off the water. And leisurely saunters back to the bridge game. Well, how's it going, McGinnis? Not bad, not bad at all. Marshal and I are certainly taking the beating tonight. We made our book, Mr. George. Good. I knew I could count on you. Three more to go for contract. Maybe I should have stood in bed. <laughs> you and I both, Warren. I never thought... What was that? Sounded like a shot to me. No, oh, probably the backfire from a car. Ah, it's too close. It sounded like it came from Mr. Lane's apartment. I'm going to take a look. I'll go with you. Yeah, we might as well go along with you. Somebody here. Light on. Anybody here? Mr. Lane! Uh, look! Over there! Why, it's Lane! With a gun in his hand. McGinnis. Is he? Yeah. He's dead. Poor devil. Gee. You'd think a fellow as successful as he would. Well, he'd have everything he wanted, everything to live for. Well, never can tell. Yeah. Just goes to show you. Gee. Suicide. I'll have to ask you gentlemen not to touch anything in here. Well, naturally. Well, what are you going to do, McGinnis? Call the police? In a minute. I'll take a look around the place first, though. Yeah, I think I talked to him just a few hours ago. He had a crazy idea. His story told how a crime could be committed so perfectly, cops would never catch the killer. Eh. Wonder where that story is. Maybe I mailed it to a magazine before he, before he did this. That could be. Well, is there anything we can do to help you? Well, nothing I can think of, but thanks all the same, Mr. Marshall. But the only thing I can think of now is to try to find out why Mr. Lane did this. That'll make me show up better on the police report, and maybe the assistant manager will go a little easy on me for stealing off to play cards. You mean you're going to look for the motive before you call the police? Yeah, something like that, Mr. Jewett. You know, there must have been some reason for him doing this. Bound to. Oh, but what? How can you find out? You can't ask a dead man questions. No, but I can ask him of the living. You and uh, Mr. Lane didn't get along so good, did you, Mr. Jewett? Well, we weren't on speaking terms, if that's what you mean. But I'm sure he didn't do this because of our little difference. Why, of course not. Man doesn't end his life because he has a falling out of the neighbor. Quite a lot of people don't like me, but... You don't find me committing suicide. Everybody has people he doesn't get along with, but that's no reason to... All of you were sure it was suicide. Well, do you suspect foul play? I'm not saying. Oh, come now, man. Either it's murder or it isn't. Mr. Jewett, a man doesn't take his life without a good reason. I'll agree to that. On the other hand, does a man kill someone without a good reason? True. Then the thing for me to do is to find the reason. Ah, the motive. Yeah, I suppose you could call it that. Well, what are you going to do? Round up all his enemies and quiz them? Put them through the third degree? No, nothing like that. Well, maybe you'll try to trap them with some psychological situation, huh? <laughs> That's what Mr. Lane might have suggested. 
some fancy highfalutin stuff like the stuff he used in his stories. And you don't believe in that, is that it, McGinnis? Nah, no professional policeman does, Mr. Warren. That kind of tricks may work in the movies, but it ain't practical for everyday purposes. I suppose you'll take pictures of the room from every angle? Maybe, later on. Oh, I know. Ballistics. Why didn't I think of that before? You'll check to see if the bullet that killed Blaine came from the gun in his hand. That's routine. We always do that. Then what are you going to do? Right now, I'm going to ask you gentlemen to go home. And you? I'm going to take a look around. And then I'll phone the police. Hello? Is that you, Marge? Uh, this is Jewett. Listen to me, Marge. I I don't know how to say this. It, it isn't the kind of news anyone likes to tell. But, well, you know I don't like Lane, and you know why, but still, I didn't wish to see him. Uh, brace yourself, my dear. Please believe me. I'm sincerely sorry, but Lane is dead. Yes? Suicide. No, 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 no. Don't take it so hard, Marge. My dear, if there's anything I can do... And now, Jewett sits back and heaves a sigh of satisfaction. He has taken the second step toward re-winning the girl Lane had taken from him. Jewett smiled because the whole idea had come from a story Lane had just finished writing. No wonder Lane had called the story Perfect Crime. No one could solve it. Just then, the door opened. Jewett, you're gonna die. See this gun in my hand? McGinnis, are you crazy? What do you mean? I mean business. You're gonna squirm in the electric chair for the murder of Robert Lane. You didn't think you could get away with it, did you? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. But you were smart, huh? Well, this case is so easy, anybody could figure it out. In the first place, you put the gun in Lane's right hand. You didn't know he was left-handed, did you? Why, I... Ah, yeah, I know. That's a detail you bright boys don't bother with. But we cops do. Then, in the second place, Lane's body was quite cool. That's something else you didn't think of. You forgot that a man who's supposed to have just shot himself is still warm. Just as warm as you or me. But why accuse me? Why claim I did it? Well, that's the third thing you overlooked. You see, you evidently wiped your fingerprints off the gun. But you forgot to wipe them off the new cartridge you placed in the gun. Like I said to Mr. Lane, any dopey cop could figure it out. Shadows and stillness. Mystery weaves a spell of strangest fascination, charging the mind with doubts and fears. For mystery is a strange companion, a living memory in the haunting hour. <laughs>
That's going to do it for Strange Tales this week. There's more from the Haunting Hour at relicradio.com, R-E-L-I-C-R-A-D-I-O.com. You can find thousands of other old-time radio episodes, more from Strange Tales, all the other podcasts, and our Shoutcast stream with even more old-time radio. If you'd like to help support it all, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on the donate link on the website. We're 100% supported by you. We have no advertising, so if you'd like to help out, help keep it that way, give that button a push. Thanks to all those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. I'll talk to you again next Sunday with another episode of Relic Radio's Strange Tales.